You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Welcome to the Future of Work podcast. Our guest today is Jonathan Mosterstrom, <clears throat> and he'll be discussing with us flexibility in the, in the workspace. Uh, remember, you can also tune in, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or Podbean. So, Jonathan, welcome. Thanks for having me, Frank. Great to be here. Jonathan, you and I have known each other. I've known you since, uh, really, since your very first days starting uh, your company. Um, and uh, it, it's been a, a very exciting to watch the growth and the changes, the evolution that's gone along. Can you tell everybody a little bit about Square Foot and how it uh, takes a, a bit of a different position than many of the other systems within the uh, flexible workspace sector? Yeah, uh, it's been uh quite the ride so far and uh, just getting started uh, in a lot of ways, which is uh, a little sobering considering we've been at it for eight years now. <laughs> it's been fun. Uh, so yeah, you know, Square Foot helps growing companies solve their real estate needs. Uh, we do that uh, several ways. We have uh, a listings platform, which, which brings transparency uh, to our clients. We have an in-house brokerage team that uh, is that trust advisor that they want and need next to them uh, at every step of the process. Uh, and finally, we have a couple of flexible uh, space offerings with Pivot Desk, which is essentially like Airbnb for office space. And uh, middle of last year, we launched a new product line called Flex by Square Foot, um, which helps our clients solve uh, issues around term. Um, I wanna be this one-stop shop for these growing companies uh, as they go from two to 20 to 200 and, and, and beyond. Well, you know, I was just at, at, at the future work, uh, the future offices summit in New York uh, last week or so. Uh, and while co-working is really a hot topic, um, uh, everybody that was there, the great majority of people there were really large companies uh, trying to figure out their own flexible workplace strategies and how to use those strategies to com be competitive in the talent war. How do you see Square Foot being that one-stop shop? And I'm not asking for an advertorial here. I'm asking for a perspective um, uh, uh, based on your uh, experience at JLL, uh, where you had seen a lot of this as well, and based on the needs of large companies, not just small solopreneurs and, and uh, what we think of as the classic coworker, to attain flexible office space. Yeah, it, it's interesting. And it's one of the things that you know we've seen firsthand here in everything we do, and also more broadly in the industry. Um, I actually think the number of companies that don't want flexibility is smaller than the number of companies that do. And, you know, Clearly, it's a no-brainer and like no questions asked if, if it's you and me who have our own startup, two people, like what are we supposed to do other than sign a short-term lease? There's no way we're going to commit to a 10-year deal. But we're seeing that desire for shorter-term um, and more flexible deals across the board. Um, you know, when we say growing companies, uh, it's not just startups. It's far from just startups. You know, we work with law firms and financial services firms that have been around for 20 years. Those are companies are also still growing. Um, and 
the way companies get built, regardless of their stage, has completely changed. The way that the real estate industry uh, provides solutions for that has not. And you know, we do, um, you know, even if our average deals, you know, five thousand square feet. Some of those are for single uh, location. You know, this is me and my company of thirty people. We also do those five thousand square foot deals for uh, kind of satellite or branch offices for some of those Fortune five hundred companies. Um, and you know, we've seen that continued desire across the board, regardless of stage, regardless of industry, want more flexible options. And more interesting than that is that it's not a one size fits all from a flexible perspective. It's, you know, you might have a, you know, headquarters location, one city, um, and then satellite locations, maybe in within that same city, because you don't want people traipsing all around town. So one of the things we're just starting to think about is what does that look like to provide a higher solution to a client uh, incorporates all of those different real estate solutions. Let me let me reference something specifically. Um, uh, when I was speaking with some others, uh, as, as you know, I, I chat with a lot of CFOs of large companies and, and have been working in the flexible sector for 40 plus years myself. One of the things that comes up and you say people don't want us to sign long term leases. Uh, we understand that. Some of the motivators uh, are having a flexible workplace plan for their employees, so they're competitive uh, in the talent search area. Uh, but also some uh, major uh, adjustments that large companies in particular are making to their balance sheets. And uh, interesting numbers came up the other day, and I'd like your comment on them. Uh, 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 one of the numbers that came up was the average employee life cycle within a global Fortune 1000 company is just under seven years. That's how long the average employee stays with the company. And so they're looking at their employee churn. Uh, and one of the comments from that several of the CFOs had agreed upon is they wanted to reduce their overall lease liability um, <clears throat> for their fixed asset space to match that churn factor on employees. So they wanted to take their average lease in their portfolio down from about 10 years or 11 years down to six and a half or seven. Is that seeing something you're seeing or are you just seeing more things more on a transaction basis? In other words, are people doing this strategically or tactically? I'm not sure that employee churn is the right metric to be benchmarking the amount of space and the length of that space to. Now, I, 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 I agree with that. I think utilization is a lot more uh, yeah. relevant, but that yeah. was a, a, a number that had come up yeah. Uh, and one of the metrics that people were looking at uh, in terms of a, at a very high level. Because look, I, I need 100 people. And if I have to cycle through those 100 people four times in the next 10 years, or everybody stays start to finish in 10 years, I still need 100 desks. So um, again, I might, I'm surely missing something there. Uh, but at first blush, I'm not sure how the two are related. Uh, separate and apart from that, like, people are looking at flexibility both from a strategic perspective and a tactical perspective. Um, you know, it's interesting. You talk to big law firms and they're thinking about it the same way too, uh, which is in law firms are an interesting group because they typically have um, pretty high CapEx when they move in because they customize the space a lot. They 
tend to be more office intensive than uh, the traditional, sorry, the new traditional layout you'd expect. Um, and because of that, they need to sign longer term leases. But the law firm industry um, is also growing uh, in the sense that like any given law firm generally thinks they're going to be bigger tomorrow than they were yesterday. So how do they take those growth assumptions uh, into account when they are uh, trying to sign a lease, especially if that lease has to be much longer term? You know, I, I mentioned in passing, we have Pivot Desk. Uh, we haven't really tried to customize it too much for the enterprise yet, but that's the problem that we're trying to solve there, which is, you know, even if I knew I want to be in my space for five years, because by the way, the thing that a lot of people don't talk about as it relates to flexibility is not just that I don't want to sign a long-term lease, but people don't think about kind of the costs of moving, right? And that I don't think gets talked about enough in that. Um, so the nice thing that Pivot Desk does for somebody is it helps them right-size their real estate costs within the envelope that they're in today, right? So I can go and sign a 5,000-square-foot lease because I believe that in four years I'll need all 5,000 square feet. And then I can offset some of my costs today by putting 10 of those desks on Pivot Desk which decreases my costs today. More importantly, it makes it so I don't have to move every two years. And if you think about the time and effort and distraction uh, that every move is, um, and then somehow figure out how to factor that in, I think um, a complete solution set should try and solve that too. Yeah, it would, would seem that um, migrating over to Pivot Devs, that that type of solution is good, but I wonder how do you match up the compatibility between two companies? I'm a law firm, let's say. Uh, do you try through Pivot Desk to encourage another law firm or an accounting firm or a marketing firm? How, how do you manage the compatibility there? Uh, because there, there could easily be some cultural conflicts uh, between companies sharing space. For sure. Um, the short answer, not to be too flippant, out, but we don't care. So the nice thing about Pivot Desk, it's a marketplace. Um, it's not high touch on our side. And it's our job to essentially fill up the supply side with people who have extra desks and then fill up the demand side with people who want those desks. And then those two people come to an agreement, not on pricing, that gets done through the, the, the platform but on, hey, is this a roommate I want to have? Um, so, you know, this gets back to, I guess we haven't talked about it, but like, I, I don't think the notion of like transactions happening purely online without tours uh, ever really happens, uh, at least in any short-term future that I can see. Um, so let's say that law firm posts something on Pivot Desk, and then tomorrow they start getting inquiries and they have five tours, um, you know, that part of that tour is like a matching process and he can decide the principal of that law firm can decide which of those five people he wants to room with. Um, but we're never saying, great, you're a law firm. You have to work with this like sales oriented, high growth startup. Uh, Jonathan with pivot desk, uh, you've got a wide variety of space types. How do you curate that space uh, versus just take any, any one body, so to speak, that wants to, get their space uh, utilized like uh, would be with Airbnb? How do you curate the quality of the space and make sure it really is proper working environment? We haven't had issues. Um, and until we start having issues, I don't think we want to get too much in the curation business um, because what you and I might think is a great workspace, uh, two other people might not and vice versa. 
So we're not trying to maintain that everything on Pivot Desk is a fit for everybody uh, or vice versa. Um, this gets back to kind of the nice thing. Like I'm a free market economist in general, and as it relates to office space too, I guess. Uh, and we'll let the individual users, the guests, and the hosts decide what's the right fit for each other. So it's pretty much self-selecting criteria. One of the things that we're talking about when we talk about flexible workspace is oftentimes it is by definition remote. I know you run some uh, offices remotely. We run offices in, in, gosh, 54 countries. So we're very used to remote work and remote teams. How does Squarefoot help with uh, its experience in this regard uh, to help advise or set up uh, other companies to have a better experience? Yeah, I think if one if a company opts to do something remotely, I think they have to do it deliberate. Um, probably that's a statement that goes for anything you do at, at the company level, but especially as it relates to remote. You know, so we have in Belfast, Northern Ireland, a ten person office, um, and we are very deliberate with how um, we incorporate them in everything we do here in New York uh, at headquarters. Uh, you know, we do bi-weekly all hands and uh, on the big screen is uh, a live feed to them of us and us to them. Okay, so you're, you're well invested, I'll say, in the video uh, approach to daily meetings and, and all that so that the team has a, a sense of continuity. I know just before our, our call here, uh, I had a, a meeting with uh, our team in, uh, in Monterey, Mexico. Uh, in London and in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, so, uh, and it was all done on video um, uh, as well. Um, so I get that. Uh, do you think that when people are looking at flexible workspace, having their own system in or having a system that allows that? How do you look for bandwidth? How do you look for those types of capabilities in placing somebody into flexible work? Uh, system. The remote is just another of many uses of high-speed bandwidth. So, you know, I think across the board, right. we, our clients want high-speed bandwidth for everything else they're doing on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, remote, having a remote team is another one of those uses. Um, but one of the questions that we constantly get asked by clients of all shapes and sizes is how good is the internet here? Um, and that's, you know, especially for tech companies who are like deploying code all day, um, but also true for like media companies and, and everybody needs high speed internet these days. So, yeah, no, I, I, I would imagine. So I think it becomes more of a cultural issue and the comfort issue of working via video uh, uh, as opposed to in person. But we find that meetings are actually much more focused. Um, uh, everybody's better prepared. Uh, than if they just cruise into the proverbial conference room and sit down for a meeting. So I, I think remote work can, can oftentimes be more efficient than uh, just having everybody piled into the same office. Now, it's funny. I know in your office, you sit in a, in a centralized position right in the middle of the office in open space. I'm just the opposite. Uh, I'm usually totally isolated uh, in my own office, away physically from everybody else. What do you think are, are your advantages? Being part of the information flow in a kind of inadvertent way. You know, this gets back to the deliberate nature of when you start setting up remote offices. 
you need to be really deliberate with how communication is happening uh, inter-office so that everybody's kind of on the same page and feels like they're uh, part of the same team. One of the benefits that I have found um, by being in the middle of the office is I hear all these things I'm not supposed to hear. And, and what I mean by that is like not that it's a they're trying to but it's these one-off conversations that two different team members are having. Um, and I get to hear part of that too. Um, and it is the serendipity and the spontaneity that, um, you know, like two particles or two atoms, whatever the right thing sliding when, um, you know, I'm walking to or from my desk and I bump into somebody along the way. And then, yes, we share like the casual pleasantry, but also, um, another conversation that oftentimes is work-related too. Uh, and you just feel a lot more connected. Um, and I think they feel more connected to me. And all those kind of one-offs, like it's about removing friction and transaction costs, right? So like if you and I are sitting next to each other, the implied cost of me having a conversation with you is a whole lot less than, okay, you and I sit in opposite sides of the office, much less opposite sides of the world. Uh, and I'm like, well, Okay, I have to call Frank and ask him a question now. So you, the more of that I have, the better. I just I get to be a part of the operating rhythm in, in a much more um, fluid way. I think all companies uh, create their own culture in that regard and, and, and find a way, uh, uh, so to speak. I, I know we have instant messenger systems that are both video and, and chat and, and things of that nature that are just buzzing all day long uh, in the same way that an office buzzes. So we don't really hear the noise, so to speak. Uh, and, and so it, for us, it has worked out well also uh, because we are a multicultural company and a multi-language company. I think uh, it'd be pretty hard for us to, to operate uh, in a format like yours, but yet they both represent uh, flexible workplace structures and flexible workplace patterns. And I think the, the takeaway there is um, everything matches the culture, needs to match the culture of the company itself. Yeah, and, and just because something works for me and for us doesn't mean I suggest it for anybody else. Um, you know, what do they think like about history, which is it all, it doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes or something like that. Um, the things that work for me and for us are not necessarily the right thing for everybody else and vice versa. Um, so you take what works and you do more of it. You try and figure out what's not working. You do less of it. True. And you're, especially when you're working across uh, multiple time zones, uh, you're working back and forth between Ireland and New York. Uh, we're working back and forth between in a variety of time zones, uh, as well. And that has a big impact. You know, we're all 24 seven connected to our offices these days. So Things like PTO, personal time off, uh, things like just the adjustment to your work day to match your work requirements uh, without burning out by, by putting in too many hours. And then how do you think flexible work and a flexible work pattern, particularly across multiple time zones, how do you think that that impacts staff and teams? As the nature of work changes, as the nature of how an employee interacts with their colleagues and with the organization changes, uh, as we live in an always-on culture and society, um, the norms around work and workplace need to change to, to mimic that. You know, you go back 30 years ago, 
working from home meant like you printed out a whole bunch of spreadsheets and poured over them uh, at your desk. Um, and then the next morning, you could go back to the office and share what you learned with the rest of the team. Um, the fact that now everybody has what would have then been a supercomputer in their pocket um, changes all of that. Um, it means that, you know, I'm constantly able to communicate with my team and my team with me uh, at 11 p.m., kind of wherever I am and wherever they are, uh, which has some real benefits and also some real drawbacks. And getting back to that kind of flexibility, um, if somebody is going to um, be responding to emails at 11, it also means that we should be giving them the flexibility at four o'clock in the afternoon to go pick up their kid from soccer practice. Um, and as more people work in more places, that changes uh, the utilization of office space. And I think some of that is now just starting to be worked through. Um, and it's not clear uh, that we're at any sort of equilibrium there um, for what the kind of right answer is. Um, but like as work-life balance turns into less of a, you know, you're always working and you're always living life, the two blend, uh, if you're lucky, right? Because it means you really like what you're doing and you like your personal life. Um, and then the challenge is like finding the right boundaries to set for both, right? Um, as well as um, as you're interacting both with your work life and your personal life, uh, how and when are you doing that? And that has, uh, that has implications for uh, the space you have and where you have it and how much of it you have. Well, I certainly agree with that. I, I think that as we look into the future and the future work overall, um, that it's going to become more and more critical in the way that we want to work and the way companies uh, want to work. Uh, today, companies uh, need to service their teams in, uh, in many ways and provide a variety of things for their teams, not just security of a job and salary, uh, but the need to set up structures which allow for the balance so that people extend their employee life cycle. Uh, because the only thing more expensive than moving space uh, is moving people, uh, losing people, having to replace people. Um, so it becomes critically important. Uh, the balance, as you suggest, is elemental to it. Uh, in closing, what do you think is the most important aspect of the flexible work movement today? Uh, all, all variety of it. What do you think its biggest contribution to productivity is and to the future of work and the worker of the future? I think it's becoming the norm in a way that when we start, first started this business eight years ago, flexibility wasn't a conversation that people had. There was, you're either executive suite, eight years ago, we work was also like in its infancy. Um, so you had executive suites like uh, Regis's of the world that have been around forever. Uh, you had co-working um, and that was the extent of flexibility. If somebody came to me and said, I want a two-year lease, I would say, uh, well, that sucks. Let's go sign a five-year lease and I promise we'll be able to sublease it on the back of that in two years. Um, so the demand, I think the really interesting thing, right? Is that the desire for flexibility has always existed. The construct to provide that for uh, growing companies has not existed. And now that that kind of dam has been broken in a very good way, that we were kind of showed the world as possible, um, now there's going to be a whole bunch of different business models 
uh, and ways to provide that for um, for clients, whether you're me as a marketplace uh, or the guy down the street who owns the building. And there's not going to be a one size fits all solution there. Um, and it'll be really fun to uh, watch how that all plays out and hopefully be uh, a nice part of it ourselves too. Well, you know, it's it kind of a little bit of what's, what's old is new again uh, in that regard, because I know you referenced Regis and you referenced WeWork. I remember in Regis's history back in the late 90s during the period of the dot-com boom and growth, a little different than our current economic growth because it was more of a boom than just a steady growth, but still a lot of the same issues existed. Uh, Regis dedicated probably 20 or 25% of their space, a new space they developed even more, to large users that needed multiple workstation uh, space on a midterm basis, a one to three year term uh, that was highly flexible. Uh, uh, long before we work even was a twinkle in Adam Newman's eye. Uh, uh, so the, the concept of larger space that companies today like Notel or, or Regis, uh, WeWork, et cetera, are applying to larger users has been around for decades. I think it cycles with the economies. And that's a big point as well, that flexibility is needed on the, the extreme up and the extreme down. In the flat middle, it's not needed as much. And so we see a cooling uh, uh, in the, the activity depending on what the economic cycles we're in. Um, and that's uh, something that people should be paying attention to in particular, I think, right now, because for the last almost 10 years, we've been on one side of an upward swinging economic cycle. And I think corporate users, uh, solopreneurs, entrepreneur companies um, need to be paying attention to their needs in the future if the economy doesn't continue to cycle upward, uh, and as well as the providers of space and how space decisions are made need to consider this. Your final thoughts on that? I think that now that flexibility is on the top of everybody's mind, it will exist throughout market cycles. Um, mm -hmm. It used to be... You think it'll be strategic rather than just tactical it has, has been in the past. Yeah, and there's, I think it's, you're absolutely right. You know, Regis has had products that kind of um, focus or kind of solve some of these problems. Um, but that gets back to, you know, it's not a one size fits all. And well, Regis works for some people, it doesn't work for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I, I think one of the interesting analogs that, you know, some people talk about, but probably not in this way, which is um, hotels versus apartments versus houses, right? Which is one is good for, one night, one is good for a month, and one is good for multiple years. As you go uh, up and down that continuum, the price changes pretty significantly. Like you wouldn't want to live in a hotel. It would be way too expensive. <laughs> yes, that's true. And that is true. If you look, so that's on the residential side, right? Um, with, you know, a hotel essentially being a one night house. Um, and what do the analogs start looking like on the commercial side? And there have not been a plethora of examples uh, or of options for companies um, over time. And, and by the way, in each of those, in the hotel, 
in the apartment in the house, you have um, a pretty wide band of options. So there's the kind of uh, budget motel, uh, you know, maybe without like even much of a front desk. Uh, then you have uh, like a Holiday Inn, and then you keep going up to like a Westin, a Marriott, a Ritz of Four Seasons. And now you also have Airbnb, right? So you can rent uh, an apartment for a night. Um, and those are all very different value props across the value chain, solving the exact same problem, which is I need a place for one night. And if you use that as a proxy for I want flexible office space solutions, you historically have not had very many options. And the thing that I think will be really fun going forward is as those different options start to present themselves, getting to both provide them in some instances and navigate the rest of it in others. Um, and what does that world look like? Because just because Regis has existed for a while, and yes, they had some two-year space for 30-person companies, doesn't mean that problem has been solved adequately. Um, and also, the average company didn't know that that was an option even back then. Um, and now everybody knows that flexibility is a thing, and a large and growing percentage of companies are raising their hand and saying, I'm willing to pay a bit of a premium for that flexibility. Well, flexibility definitely deserves a premium. Uh, I think it's definitely here to stay. Uh, and in my own opinion, the strategic use of flexible workspace in all variety uh, of cases is only going to be growing. We really appreciate your time today. Uh, I've watched your company grow very successfully for the last eight years. You have a unique position of the industry that is greatly needed, and we're very grateful to you for sharing your insights. Thanks again. Thank you so much for your time, Frank. Great to catch up. Take care. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?